0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Welcome to the RoadWire Prospect Podcast. I'm your host, James Anderson, and I'm happy to be joined this week by Dylan White of Prospects Live. And Dylan uh, does a ton of great stuff over at at Prospects Live in terms of kind of pinpointing breakout prospects and and that type of stuff. Uh, He's also, I would say, inarguably the best TGFBI player of the past three years. Dylan didn't play uh, in 2018 or 2019, but finished 13th overall in 2020, second overall last year. You're currently fifth overall, Dylan. Um, and we're going to talk about that here in a second, but, uh, you know, congrats on the, on the strong season so far. And, uh, and thanks for joining me.
2: Uh, Thank you for that, uh, that introduction. I mean, I, I don't play any NFBC. I'm too scared to actually put money on the line. So that allows me to spend time focused on TGFBI. So I think a lot of that is because of the inordinate amount of resources I devote to it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that's definitely a benefit, right? I mean, I think that's, uh, you know, especially in TGFBI where there's, you know, you have to put money into the side pot for there to be any cash on the line. Uh, You can, you can certainly kind of separate yourself from a lot of your competitors by just uh, putting the time in. But uh, I think, you know, your track record is, is quite impressive. And um, I, I remember, I think I had you on, would that have been like late April, maybe this year, something like that. Um, and I think I was asking you about sort of, uh, kind of your, your better, um, value picks or something like that. And you mentioned Aaron judge and it was, it was still early enough in the season where I was kind of like, Oh, well, yeah, I mean, he's been great, but I mean, he was like a third rounder. Was he that great of a value that you're mentioning him as your, your biggest value, but, uh, Little did I know he was going to go on to to just have this crazy season. And uh, I have Aaron Judge on on a grand total of of zero teams (laughs) uh, this year. Um, So that was a a massive whiff by me. Uh, I I think that, um, you know, you were were definitely right about that one. Um, Who besides, I mean, I guess maybe Aaron Judge, um, we could just start with him. Like, uh, you know, how sustainable is what he's doing right now. I don't know if you saw he, I think he went like sixth or seventh overall in that, uh, NFBC league I was in, um, mm-hmm. last week. Um, but how sustainable is all this, uh, looking ahead to, to next season? Uh, I mean, the good thing about him is he's also stealing bases.
2: I think he's like 50 right. stolen bases. So I download the projections, uh, like bad X and, and, and depth charts every week before fab. Um, And he is, I think he's like the number one projected. So like, even, uh, even if this is not sustainable and he's going to regress, he's still based on what he's done, um, over the last three years or whatever, um, is still projected to be like the best in terms of war and in terms of dollar value, I believe. So, um, is he sustainable to hit, you know, whatever 60 home runs and steal 20 bases? Obviously not. Um, but if he plays a full season next year, I think
1: he's in the top three outfielders. I think. So is it, it's not a because you know I I tend to kind of not want to pay for someone's career year. I mean, there's kind of varying degrees of that. Obviously, sometimes you don't know it's a guy's career year. Sometimes, uh, you're you're positive it's a guy's career year. Um, but like, is Aaron Judge sort of? Is it more kind of? He's proven that he just sort of is going to be this sort of top eight, top ten pick, you know, until further notice. That type of thing where you wouldn't mind going back to that well uh, in the middle of the first round next year. Yeah, I, I, I would take him.
2: I would still take him in the first round for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> he's not going to be what he's doing now. I never expected it. I, I took him in that dynasty mock that we did. hmm um, I, I have him in like my home league. I didn't expect this, obviously. If I didn't have him in TGFBI, I'd be like hundredth or something like that. Like it was pure fluke that I backed into this this type of year. If, but, if you
1: put if you put Aaron Judge on my team, I might be where you are. Um, yeah, oh,
2: I think that's true. A lot of people are like <laughs> Verlander, give Verlander <laughs> to somebody, and then they're they're in the top twenty or whatever. Um, another one I kind of backed into. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I didn't want to take Judge. He fell to me in the third. I wanted to, I, I actively wanted to compete in the overall this year. And so I wanted to have quote unquote, safe players that didn't have injury risk. And so like judge, I was kind of on the fence. I ended up with Byron Buxton too. I don't know. So like, I completely didn't do what I said I would do. I came out of the draft Um NFBC gave me that with their draft rating, it gave me an A plus, but I felt so bad about my team. I did, I had Votto and Justin Turner, all these old guys, Tommy Pham that I'm like, I thought I was supposed to take like safe, not injured guys. And I have these like old guys who could fall off a cliff. Um, kind of lost my train of thought, but <laughs> I think it's judge was always like his per game. Produ- produ- production was always solid. And it was like, you know, I would not get these like soft tissue injuries, like Stanton. I mean, that that was my perception, but his stat cast was always so strong. And so whenever I had a, a tie between someone whose projections are similar, I would always like kind of uh, defer to the stat cast as the tiebreaker. And so I just ended up, he fell to me in the third. I, I figured I'll take him. And uh, yeah, I mean, he's always been good. He'll always will be good for the next four years, I think. But he's going to sign a new contract, I guess, right? So who knows what's going to happen the first year after a big, big uh, contract or whatever is always iffy.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, the the stolen bases aspect with him is is really interesting, and uh, you certainly wonder, you know, what a, what a fair projection is for him for twenty twenty three in terms of in terms of steals. Uh, probably my biggest weakness of all my like drafts I did this year was just kind of in that sort of third, fourth, fifth round range, being sort of hyper focused on. Getting you know someone that was going to steal double digit bases or be a top five, top six closer, or maybe that's where I was getting my SP two or something like that. I was basically looking for either steals, saves, or strikeouts in that range, and fortunately was still able to get like Austin Riley in a in a couple places, but like I really whiffed on getting these sort of anchor guys after the first couple rounds, uh, like an Aaron Judge. So that's something I'm, I'm going to try to improve on for next year. But um, what what have been some sort of grievances you've had with your TGFBI team here in like recent weeks? I know you were in first overall uh, not too long ago. Um, has anyone like been, you know, underperforming? Is there anyone that you're really kind of hoping you can kind of ride some some strong production from over the past, over the next like five weeks or anything like that? So Coming into last week, like after Sunday night,
2: I was first overall, and I had two start weeks from Garrett Cole, Carlos Carrasco, and Jose Quintana, and I thought, I'm set. I'm just going to separate myself here. I got you know six starts, pretty good teams, the Mets, Yankees, and St. Louis now, um, so I'd get maybe three wins. Maybe I could back into four. That was kind of what I was hoping. I got zero, obviously. <laughs> Carrasco out. Through two innings and basically was bombed. Jose Quintana threw like four total and was bombed. Cole didn't get a win, and I had like the fifteenth worst week if you if you sort by like the weekly performance like of anybody. I lost 116 points or something like that. Um, so that wasn't fun. Uh, Judge also had no home runs in nine uh, nine games or something like that. It was a like constant, like one for thirties. I mean, no one's interested in this, but it's like I put Donovan Solano in, and then he goes on the paternity list, and then he's going to come back, and then he goes on the restricted list. So I thought that was COVID, and so I didn't. Bench, I benched him for Friday, Saturday, Sunday, but he came back the next day and went like five for eight. Uh, Votto out, etc. So it was a bad week. Um, but I, I think my team is. Fairly okay. I have Jake Fraley, and I have Jake McCarthy, and I have Donovan Solano and so and uh, Joey Manesis. So like, I'm kind of playing the hot hand. <laughs> yeah. And it's not the greatest. I lost Buxton now. Fam's <laughs> injured. So like, it's it's been a struggle. Every time I think I'm set, every time I think I'm like complacent, because I have you know I have depth to cover someone who's injured, someone goes down uh, for, for the year or whatever. But I mean, I have made like the two biggest mistakes I've made (laughs) this year is I had Clay Holmes before he was Clay Holmes. I picked him Mm up. A role. This was struggling Clay Holmes. Like as you're probably aware, I always kind of, i kind of do what Greg Jewett does with the, with the closers on my own. Like who's got the good underlying stats and like the K minus BB and the swinging strike, all that stuff. And so Clay Holmes, I picked up early and then uh, Mark Melanson was getting crushed and Joe Mantiply was kind of up there and he kind of looked better than Clay Holmes in terms of that and I thought he was more of a, a lock, Melanson was more of a lock to lose the job compared to Aroldis and so I dropped Clay Holmes for Joe Mantiply before Clay Holmes became like the, the best reliever in the game and then the second one I did which still kills me is I had uh, Stephen Kwan um, someone dropped him, I picked him up just before he kind of got hot again And then Asturi Ruiz came up (laughs) and I thought my my biggest weakness for the overall was stolen bases. So if I could get like the John Birdie or the like the Mondesi guy for the end of the year, I could like, you know, plug and play to get stolen bases if I needed them. And so I I bid 162 bucks on Asturi Ruiz and dropped (laughs) Quan. (laughs) And like, obviously that didn't work out. And Quad has like my biggest uh, problem right now is batting average. And Quan is like hitting three fifty five or something like that in the last six weeks, so that was a big mistake. So, yeah, I hope I can bounce back and and claw my way near the top.
1: Yeah, well, you got that. You got that Verlander gem from last night. That'll that'll yes. help. Um, yeah, I have a. You know, part of the the big problem when you kind of screw up the way I did this year and you don't leave the draft with enough of sort of the, the big three offensive counting stats, like the the runs, the home runs, RBI. uh, Like I, I think on most of my teams, I failed in the draft at, at leaving with enough of those. And when you do that, like I, I picked up Stephen Kwan for like a buck on the very first fab run in my main event league. And like before the season started, I think like when it was looking like he was going to make the team. Um, and then I ended up dropping him, um, you know, whenever he like first kind of cooled off just because it was like, well, I've got a ton of these guys, these like high average, like speed, light power guys. Like, you know, I, I can't just carry guys like that in every spot. So I need to chase power. And so, you know, cut a guy like Quan, who obviously 15 team league should be rostered all season for the stuff he's good at. Um, but you know, when you don't have enough of the, the stuff he's bad at then he's just kind of not really helping you but um yeah i kind of i understand that um we all have some massive regrets uh, even <laughs> when we're doing really well um so i think a lot of people can probably sympathize with you there um anything else you want to hit on with your your tgfbi team before we get into the prospect stuff
2: uh no, just more. I'm 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 surprised at how how the success or failure of my team on a like daily or weekly basis like affects my mood. So I can't imma- <laughs> I can't imagine how like putting thousands of dollars on the line would do. But it's, it's like I'm so bummed out when they're like one for thirty with
1: with no home runs or whatever. I it, I can
2: see that my mood gets soured. It's funny.
1: This is my least favorite time of the year for. Um like following the performance of my fantasy teams. um, This kind of basically, it kind of starts for me sort of in like early August where things are just getting so real, you know, like you can sort of feel yourself gaining ground and losing ground. And it, it feels very, you know, tangible kind of. And when you have a rough night and you go from like, second to fourth or something in your league, or you, you go from like first to third or something. And it's just, it's brutal because you, you know, that the season is winding down. You don't have much time to get those points back. So I, I love checking the standings and stuff in, uh, like May and June. That's kind of like the the sweet spot of where that is kind of fun for me. And then obviously I'm following things extremely closely in the final like couple weeks. But this is just a time of year where I set my lineup and I just kind of try to zone out <laughs> in between uh, the lineup setting periods because it's just too too many swings, too many um, changing emotions there. So I hear you. <laughs> um, all right, so I'm working on my big update uh, for the sort of end of month, end of August, uh, top 400. Uh, prospect rankings. Um, and this is, as we speak right now, I think it's basically exactly uh, four weeks since my last update. And I am just kind of um, alarmed, I guess, at, at how much movement there is with some of these players in just a four-week span. And so I wanted to have you on and kind of see if if you're kind of in the same place with me on on some of these guys because i really respect your um your opinions and, and valuations on on prospects and and i you know i kind of wanted to do an episode to kind of um ease people into the idea of where some <laughs> of these values are are shifting because i think there will be some kind of some sticker shock a little bit when people sort of see where a guy was in terms of either moving way up or, or moving you know, way down compared to where they were a month ago. And I kind of want to talk through it and, and make sure we're not overreacting too much in, in either direction here. But, um, you know, I, I want to start at the top with uh, with um, Vaughn Grissom and Josh Young. Um, these guys, I think, to me, are top 100 or, or top 10 uh, prospects for Dynasty Leagues, I think. Um, you know, Von Grissom, obviously everyone knows how good he's been in the majors, but like he was top 20 for me before, uh, he even got the call. And then Josh Young, you know, he's healthy. The power is obviously back. Um, to me, he's someone that's got appeal, whether you're rebuilding or contending. Uh, what do you think about having Grissom and, and Young as top 10 prospects right now? I think
2: Young, uh, pretty much for sure. Um, He has a 90 on RoboScout. Just a quick plug, I do RoboScout on Prospects Live, which is like a 0 to 100 uh, scale at each level. Um, And so Josh Young is a a 90, which is like 12th best in AAA, even though he only has whatever it is, like 50 plate appearances um, behind Gunnar Henderson. So, I mean, I love him. I think we were holding our breath to see how the the injury would affect him. Um, would he, losing a, a year of development, essentially, would, would that be a problem? But it doesn't, I mean, maybe it's confirmation bias, but it looks like he's picked up right where he left off. He looks like he's a, you know, 270, 280 hitter with 25 to 30 home runs in the middle of that order. Good defense. Um, I looked at 2021 stat cast and to see how he was last year, just like, just to remind myself. And he was basically Juan Yipez, um, great contact, good, uh, chase rate, good hit tool, but he hits the ball harder. Like his exit velocities were like two to three miles an hour harder than Juan Yipez. So like what Juan Yipez is, I think he's highly regarded as at least a hitter. Um, you know, add to the fact that he'll play third base, be three war player. He's going to be, you know, a decade or so of like Machado type, type performance, I think. So Josh Young is an easy one what what are your thoughts you, you agree with that well uh, yeah i mean uh, <laughs> yeah top 10 I, I guess so
1: <laughs> i i think that's uh that's interesting that you started with 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 young cuz i i think he's um i think people are more kind of uh all over the all over the map i think with him more um like i, I think there's less agreement maybe i think the fact that grissom's maybe doing it in the majors gives people uh maybe more confidence but um you know, to me, I think everything you said is kind of on point, like where it's so hard to, um, it's so hard to find, uh, a good third baseman, um, that's young and that like, can help you in the four categories you're typically looking for a third baseman to help you in. And, uh, they've got a clear spot for him. Um, so I, yeah, I, I think there's, there's really not much you can do in terms of nitpicking with it.
2: Right. And and the reason I kind of <laughs> I left Von Grissom is he's kind of been he's a sore spot for me for a number of reasons, which I'll I'll tell you now. So um at the beginning of the year, I traded Kyle Harrison for Von Grissom. I liked Von Grissom, I liked what he's doing. He seemed like solid all around, good hit tool, good on base, reasonable power, reasonable stolen bases. Uh, I wanted to trade the you know the young pitcher for Von Grissom. And then I dropped In one league, I dropped Von Grissom to pick up Moises Gomez, which clearly is a mistake. Um, And friend of the pod, friend of ours, Lucas Bieri picked him up for like $120. And I still thought that was like, whoa, that's a pretty big spend. Maybe I shouldn't have dropped him. And then in that league where I I traded Harrison for uh, Von Grissom, I then traded Grissom back to the guy with a third round pick, I believe, for Frank Schwindel. So I don't even have Von Grissom in my dynasty leagues. And I had him in two. Um, in TGFBI, uh, I didn't even bid on him when he came up. And my, my, my rationale was, I mean, I had Tommy Edmond, Nico Horner, Cattell Marte, uh, Glaber Torres. Like I have a bunch of these sort of like second base shortstop guys. I mean, those four are reasonable. Um, I think I had Brendan Donovan at the time too. And then Von Grissom was only two second base only Albies was going to be a back at some point. It could have been just a short stint. So I didn't even bother uh, bidding for him. And, uh, clearly I, 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 uh, blew that. So I'm a bit, I'm a bit sour when it comes to Vaughn Grissom because of the sort of the missed opportunities, but I can't, I can't get, I can't get a good read on him because if you look at projections, he's, I know he's going lights out right now. Um, but even then in the projections, he's not even that great. Um, I, I looked it up before this. So Steamer has him as 270 330. So batting average OPP, 270-330, 14 homers, 12 stolen bases, 105 WRC plus, which is basically Gene Segura. Obviously, that's good. That's valuable. That's productive. Very good. And if he gets, you know, outfield and and other defensive um positions, the versatility would be great. Bat X has him worse, 257-305. Uh, 13 homers, 18 stolen bases, 95 wRC plus, which is if you kind of compare, that's like Yairo Munoz uh, in a 600 plate appearance thing. Um, if you look at uh, Jordan Rosenblum, friend of the pod, friend of ours, Highlander uh, participant, his stat line scouting peak projections, um, he does great work. Obviously, uh, he has him at 273, uh, 60, 13, 15. Uh, 117 WRC plus that's, that's peak. That's at like, age 27, which is Cattell Marte at peak. So not quite yet, but that, so, I mean, he's he's not blowing the socks off projections and I, I highly uh, rely on projections. Um, so I was a bit uh, like, I obviously he's, he's dominating at the majors right now. And Atlanta, obviously they signed that, uh, that extension with them. And so like, they believe in him. Um, they're doing obviously great stuff in their development of Michael Harris, et cetera. And so I'm still not sure if I should be like in love with them or if I should be kind of like throwing cold water on them. And so I looked for even further analysis. I looked at 21 year olds at high A since 2006. And I kind of looked at their profile, walk rate, strikeout rate, ISO, et cetera, um, just to see who are good comps in the past and the best comps I have, um, 21-year-old is Michael Hermosillo in 2016 had basically identical walk, all, all those profile things I was talking about, swinging strike rate, even power and stolen bases. Um, and then Alex Bregman, uh, who actually had uh who was on pace for 25 stolen bases in 550 plate appearances, by the way. Um, so it's like, is he Michael Hermosillo Is he Alex Bregman? It's like it seems like there's such a wide range of, of outcomes. So I am not sure. I, I think putting him in the top ten is definitely the smart, logical play. He's he's performing at, in the majors. It seems projections are a bit lukewarm on on uh, you know giving him all that credit right now. But I mean, he's in the majors. He's performing. He's young. He's going to have defensive versatility. The Braves believe in him they're a playoff team and so if they believe in him, they you know he's got to be good that sort of thing so it totally makes sense i'm just and and maybe i'm just trying to convince myself that i didn't blow up by dropping him or not bidding on him (laughs) but it's like i'm not totally sold that he's a dominant
1: player yet so um that was a lot sorry no no I, (laughs) i i appreciate that i mean i that's like you know citing those projections i think is is certainly worthwhile um I just, I look at uh, his production as a pro and I just, I don't, I think like, (laughs) I don't know. I think the projections are are missing something because he has a, he, you know, he's 21. Uh, He's been young for every level he's ever played at. And he has a career, including the majors, including the minors in a hundred or in 241 games. He's a career 321 hitter with a 405 OBP and a 476 slug. And that's just, that encapsulates his entire pro career and the strikeout rate's been elite at every level. Uh, the walk rate hasn't been elite at every level, but it's only been non elite kind of at the levels where he was really kind of getting a challenge. Um, so I just, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like he's, he's trying to tell us how good he is and I'm, I'm going to kind of listen to him. I think on it, like, I mean, he's just, he has shown no signs of slowing down at, at really any point. He didn't have the pedigree as a draft prospect for what he did at, in rookie ball or low a, I think to really catch people's attention necessarily. I mean, I, he's always kind of been, on my radar is sort of a, you know, top 20 prospect in that organization. Um, just kind of given the age and, uh, the, the five category, uh, appeal and everything. But, um, you know, he's performed at a level just, if you just kind of are looking at what he did statistically in the minors, I just don't think there are many guys that I can think of that have had this type of a, a run.
2: No, I mean, I agree. Before I traded Kyle Harrison for Von Grissom, I I talked to Jeff Ponce, and he's one of the biggest Kyle Harrison stands. And I said, Who do you have, uh, Grissom or or Harrison? He said, I think Grissom. And I was a bit surprised. Like, uh, I I think I have a blind spot with guys who don't have like a set position that I'm Mm. not sure where they're going to play. And for some reason, like, it should be a positive because they can fit them in wherever they want. But I just feel that it's like he's a tweener or something like that. It's just, it's a stupid perception that I have that's completely wrong and I have to fix. Um, but yeah, I mean, if but if you compare Von Grissom to Michael Hermosillo, the, <laughs> the late, great Michael Hermosillo, uh, 21-year-olds at high A. So walk rate, 9% to 9%. I'll say Grissom's numbers first. Uh, average 312 to 309 OBP 404 to 393 slugging 487 to 490. Like these are basically the same ISO 174 to 181 speed score seven to 7.2 WOBA 405 to 393 WRC plus 144 to 139 uh, home runs per 550 18 to 13. So, so Grissom's a bit better there. Stolen base is 32 to 19 better there but ground ball rate so like even his launch angle profile it's like identical so it's like there there have been players that have done kind of what he's doing and haven't panned out obviously um but i mean there's no argument with what he's doing right now he's clearly performing and and these are just superficial stats too i don't know if if how grissom's doing against all sorts of pitch types for example like maybe hermes a fastball only and can't hit the secondary so obviously it's not the the cleanest and the the most foolproof method um to do this comp thing i'm doing but yeah i mean you can't argue with grissom he's he's performing now i think anyone should have him as a top 10. anyone should probably have him as a top 50 dynasty player maybe definitely top 100.
1: i mean so i guess are you um could you be sort of swayed into maybe fully believing in him over these next five and a half weeks. Like, is this going to be one where let's say he really kind of goes into a slump here down the stretch and uh, the numbers in the big leagues at the end of the year look just a much more kind of pedestrian. um, And then it's kind of like, yeah, so maybe he wasn't quite as good as everyone thought like that type of thing. Like, are you sort of in the, let's see how he does um, down the stretch here? Before kind of deciding where you're going to value him in the offseason?
2: Yeah, I think so. I think the next, you know, the rest of the season is going to go a long way. I'm kind of waiting for the shoe to drop and it doesn't seem like it's going to drop. And I, I think if I owned him, I would probably sell high because it's as, like, there's a high, ch- not high chance, there's a reasonable chance this is his peak value now, but there's also a reasonable chance that this is just the beginning of an incredible career. Um, but I think, just based on this conversation and, and other conversations I've had, like Grissom is clearly held in high regard and he's going to be a huge target as long as he kind of continues throughout the rest of the season. And he's going to be a huge target of the offseason by a number of teams and players in my leagues, I'm sure. Um, so yeah, I'm kind of in a wait and see, you know, secretly, I'm kind of hoping he's going to be, you know, Gene Segura <laughs> rather than uh, you know, Alex Bregman or whatever.
1: Well, I, yeah, in, in one of my dynasty leagues, I play in, uh, uh, Brian Slack is in, is in that league. And, uh, he kind of, uh, he came at me with kind of one of those, uh, trade talk. Uh, I forget exactly how he kind of phrased it, but he was, he was kind of trying to make it seem like, Oh, I'm kind of interested in this Grissom guy. This was like two months ago, probably. Um, you know, he didn't want it to seem like he was. <laughs> really dead set on getting Grissom, but I think he just kind of wanted to see if he could get Grissom off of me. And then just with Brian Slack poking around, I was just like, no, I I like Grissom. I've, I've always liked Grissom. He's not going anywhere. Um, but like, I think, you know, he's the type of player in Dynasty that like he's 21, might be multi-position eligible. He seemingly does a little bit of everything. If not, it is really good at everything. So I mean, these are the type of players in dynasty that are and and in the big leagues, obviously. Like I think he's, uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do once once Albies is back. Um, but I mean, this is a guy. I think you're right. Like if you wanted to sell high, I feel like you could get a ton. But then he's also in that spot where, if you do sell high today, by the time October gets here, you might just really. Uh, be miserable about selling (laughs) high on him. So a very tough player, I think to kind of know what to do with right now. But um, for me, uh, I I think, you know, what he's done at double a and the big leagues this year has been impressive enough that I'm, I'm kind of, uh, you know, I am, I am kind of all in by putting him um, in the middle of the top 10. Um, But I, I think it's interesting that you're more sold on, on young. So that's, that's a, that's fun. Um, all right, let's, uh, let's head to a quick break and then we will talk about a player whose stock is unfortunately trending in the wrong direction.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data
1: The weather is heating up, and so are the promotions at Caesar Sportsbook. Today, anyone who is at least 21 years old and in a licensed Caesar Sportsbook state can create a new account and redeem the Caesar Sportsbook promo code Roto15. That's R O T O one five. The promo code gives new users a risk-free bet up to 1,500 bucks. Visit Caesars.com/sportsbook or download the Caesar Sportsbook app today, and don't forget to use promo code Roto15 when signing up. All right, Dylan. So uh, one guy that you and I kind of talked about a, a decent amount off air uh, is Robert Hassel, and um, I I feel really I don't I don't really know exactly how to go about talking about him because I just I know people are going to be pissed about how far he's going to fall <laughs> in my next update, and I think there's just a lot of different sort of things to look at with him. Um, obviously, was sort of the at the time of the trade, he was the highly, the most highly regarded of the prospect eligible players that the nationals got back. Uh, but he has been uh, just really bad um, since the trade obviously did get bumped up to double a. So that, that obviously has to be factored in a little bit, but um, you know, the, the strikeouts have kind of spiked and with the type of profile he had, um, where it's just kind of guy who's good at everything, like, like, you know maybe isn't going to give you the, the craziest power ever but if you can be a, a guy that hits around 300 and hits first or second in a lineup and and steals 20 bases then you know you'll take 15 to 20 homers in those early years but as soon as that type of player um, starts scuffling then it's real then you kind of look at the the whole package and you're like wait why am I holding this guy in such high regard like he has to have a plus hit tool like if he's if he's not at least a plus hitter then he's much more pedestrian uh what what have you sort of been thinking in terms of hassle i guess over the past month and like where were you on him before the trade
2: uh so but I am not putting that much stock in what he's done after the trade I mean these are like 20-year-olds who have getting their life uprooted and upended in a way so i'm uh i'm kind of giving them a mulligan on what they're doing uh initially with their new teams but i think in general his whole kind of body of work this year hasn't even been that impressive i I know in, in the prospects live discords and chats there's been a lot of um talk about how exactly what you're saying, like, I think we might have to like move him down. I know uh, some of the high profile prospects live guys, not to give away names or are, are thinking of dropping them in their personal ranks out of the top 50. Um, I think it's almost unanimous that like James Wood is ahead of hassle. Yeah. I think. Um, and by far. And so, you know, I think there's a great, great one to discuss because everything you said is correct. And so I, I, I dug into some statcasts. I have some statcasts from this year. And you know his contact, his chase rate are all good. It's all kind of what we want and what we hope. And for a twenty year old, it's good. But it's like the the exit velocities are very low. He has a, his average exit velocity is eighty four miles an hour. His max is one hundred five. Um, if you look at sort of the 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 age curves of, of exit velocity, I kind of I kind of grafted out when I when I had the twenty twenty one statcast. From age 20 to 27, you're basically gonna add two miles an hour. So if he's at 84 now, that's 86. His max would then be like 107. And so I looked at, at MLB to see what that what that means. And that's like Miguel Rojas and Isaiah Kiner Falefa. Like that's not that that's pretty low. Like that's like 10 home run power. Um, so it's it's one of these tough ones again. He he's got a great quote unquote great hit tool, good chase rate, good contact for a 20-year-old is very good. It is what you want, but the, the exit velocity is so low, right? And we always have this conversation. It's like Stephen Kwan. And I think Stephen Kwan is kind of what he's becoming. He's going to have a good batting average. He's going to play center field reasonably well, but probably better in a corner. But because he doesn't have the power, it's kind of like you're kind of sacrificing something in your lineup. And he's going to have 10 home runs, 15 stolen bases. And it's, that's a bit of a disappointment, right? So where would you have... Stephen Kwan, you're not going to have him top ten. Maybe, maybe at age 20 you might. Uh, but yeah, I think it's a very reasonable thing to drop him.
1: Well, so I guess yeah, there's a there's a few things to sort of uh, hit on there. Um, yeah, I was I was never that surprised by and um, on RotoWire we sort of have the the hard hit rate, so that's more of kind of like a an average. Um, and I was never surprised that his hard hit rates were quite a bit lower just because he has such an obviously Oppo heavy approach. Um and sometimes you'll see sometimes you'll see the best moments of a player, like you know, it, I could probably go dig up a Robert Hassel opposite field home run from this year, and you would look at it and you'd be like, Oh, this guy's got Crazy power to the opposite field, um, but he's he's only hit ten of them, and you know you could probably go look at, at all ten of those homers, and they're probably pretty grooved. Um, so, I, I think that the opposite field thing kind of threw me off a little bit um, from like worrying too much about how how hard he was hitting the ball because I don't think his approach was necessarily designed. To be this this crazy sort of fifty percent pull, you know, lift and launch type of thing, Um, but at the same time, that's not a bad like it's not a bad thing to be that sort of pull heavy guy, especially if you have great contact skill. And so the fact that he isn't that. It makes it kind of a, a finer line, I think, uh, for a player like that who, who's trying to use the whole field and kind of get to his power sort of just naturally without sort of selling out for power. And then to, to your point about where he's at in the rankings, um, it, it's more sort of me like <laughs> I just I'm raising my hand and saying I should not have had him ranked in the top 10. <laughs> on the last update like it's not it's not like uh, these last four weeks he's going down into the 30s or wherever he ends up um, because of these four weeks but I think these four weeks kind of made me look a little bit more skeptically at what he'd done in the prior 75 games and uh, there was a player who I mentioned to you where I was I was kind of like, yeah, man, I'm going to have to move Hassel down. And then I got to uh, Evan Carter and I started analyzing him. And I was just like, man, I have Evan Carter at like 60 and I had Hassel at like six. And what's the difference between these two guys? Um, So I think that part of that was maybe I was too low on Carter. But then it just made me really be like, I mean, there can't be a 50 spot gap between Robert Hassel and Evan Carter anymore. So it's kind of like, where do do I kind of have those guys sort of meet in the middle? Um, So I, yeah, I I didn't want it to come across as like he's dropping 25 spots because of these four weeks, but I do want to put a lot of the onus on myself for just having a bad rank on him um, prior to these four weeks. um, If that makes sense.
2: Totally makes sense. I mean, where do you have in the Evan Carter versus uh, Robert Hassel? Uh, debate where do you have sal Frelick? i know you were originally going to talk about him this week um but like where do you have him in, in that in that mess because they're, they're kind of similar profiles too right
1: yeah you know um carter and hassle are uh, i want to say they're closer in age um well no i, I mean Car- carter's a few years younger than Frelick and Hassel's like a year and a half younger than Frelick, but um I am much more, I think I'm much more confident that Frelick won't be a power threat, a notable power threat than I am in Carter or Hassel. Like I think if I was just sort of ranking those three in terms of who's most likely to have a 20 homer season in the majors, I would have Frelick last pretty, pretty uh, confidently. Uh, but I think uh if we're just talking, if we're comparing the, the hit tools of those three, uh, Frelick probably has the best one. I mean, Frelick is much more kind of along the lines of a, yeah, like a Stephen Kwan, uh, uh, Michael Brantley type of, type of player. Um, and then I think with hassle and Carter, it's just, they're, they're younger Carter, especially, but hassle too. Like they're still young enough and like hassles, hassle six, two and, like he he's big enough where and he's strong enough that he could get to some power. Whereas like Frelick is just kind of a physically mature five ten one eighty, and um, so I think it's just it's more kind of you can zero in on the type of player Frelick could be. I think a bit clearer than you can on those other two. And, and so is he lower than uh, uh He's lower for me. Yeah, I just I mean he, I know he there's a lot of Brewers fans that want him up, uh, right now, right now. Um, and just kind of want to see, uh, how it looks in the majors. And if he doesn't do it, he's what they hope he does. Then they can just send him back to A, no harm done, that type of thing. But, um, I just, yeah, I think like you're just that type of package of high average, you hope for high runs, maybe you get 20 steals and then you get like seven homers, like, I just I can't put like a player like that in the in the top fifty um, for dynasty, but um, I think he's a very interesting player to discuss because he's his weaknesses have been kind of as advertised I would say Frelick, uh, but his strengths like he's lived up to everything he was supposed to do right so um, and he and he's just been on fire over the past couple of months, mm-hmm. um so. How about I, can I throw out some, uh, names at you for like Robert Hassel versus this, uh, prospect and you can just either say definitively one way or the other, or like, you know, I'd have to, I'd have to look at that a little bit more. I'll, I'll do my best. <laughs> All right. Uh, Robert Hassel versus, uh, Jason Dominguez.
2: Uh, okay. Uh I'll go Dominguez.
1: Yeah, uh agreed. Uh Robert Hassel versus Colton Kauser.
2: Who? Uh I'll go Cowser as well.
1: Yeah, I I agree. Um Robert Hassel versus Kyle Manzardo. <laughs>
2: this is a spoiler alert thing. I'm going to go Mazzardo
1: there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so I, I'm in agreement on those. Uh, let's see. Um, actually we'll, let's, let's just, let's leave it there for now. Uh, I do want to talk about a, a few of those guys, but yeah, like those are three guys that I will definitely have ranked ahead of, uh, Robert Hassel. Um, and we, we will get to them in a second here. Um, what about uh, another guy that was moved at the deadline? And I, I assume from your answer to a uh, hassle that you're not weighing anything into this. And I think this one, especially like just kind of given his age, like I wouldn't worry about it either, but um, you know, Edwin Arroyo has been, um, you know, if, if you were a Reds fan and you were just like, oh, I can't wait to see what this Arroyo guy does. Like you're, you're probably a little underwhelmed so far. Uh this is another one where, you know, you could you could paint a, a story to really sell someone on Edwin Arroyo based on his first full season, and you could just combine what he's done with the Mariners and the Reds. Uh, but do you see any kind of, you know, weaknesses or any cause for concern with Edwin Arroyo? Um, another player who I think I, I might have been a tad too high on uh, on the last update
2: i mean it's it's one year, so we don't have that much of a track record um but at the same time he's very young, and so you know we see the the whole world ahead of him and what he can be and what he can do um yeah, I mean, just to answer the first part i'm I'm not too concerned about what he's doing uh in at Daytona or wherever he is in Cincinnati um again, you know he's just a kid uh he can barely vote um and so he's asked to move across the country or whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, he has kind of slowed down to the, the torrid pace he was on earlier in the season. Um, but even then, like still the, like the 400 or 500 plate appearances or whatever that he's accumulated is he's still showing like 20 home run power, 10 stolen bases. Good. Like two 63 type output is kind of what I, I, I see. Um, and good shortstop and moving to Cincinnati uh, just great American ballpark with the park factors and all that is like a 10% bump on his, in his, uh, his offensive performance. So it's like, I I'm still kind of in, I'm still top 25. I think um, I'm not putting much stock in the, like who's going to play shortstop for, for the reds thing. Cause that'll all kind of figure itself out. Um, so I I'm still in on on Arroyo. He's uh on my Robo Scout thing, he's eighty-six still, even with this you kind know, of the slowdown, uh, which is sixth at high A. Uh, he's ahead of Jordan Lawler and just behind Edgar Cuero, who we may touch on as well. Um, so you know, he's doing very well still. Shortstop, uh all the things I said, I think. He, uh, yeah, I, I'm not knocking him down, and maybe that'll look foolish in hindsight. But uh, I'm still kind of uh, moderately all in.
1: <laughs> Man, Robo Scott's got to show some some respect to to Jordan Lawler. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, okay, that's that's good. That's great uh, that, that uh, you're you're staying staying strong with with Arroyo. I think that that's uh, that's uh, the way. Can I throw out some names at you with him? Yeah. Um some, some would you rather? Uh how about uh, Edwin Arroyo versus um Ezekiel Tovar?
2: Uh I'm gonna go Tovar.
1: How about Edwin Arroyo versus Mason Wynn?
2: That one's close. Um uh, maybe Wynn there.
1: How about uh Arroyo versus uh Noel Marte, who's in the same trade.
2: Yeah, I can't get a read on Marte either just because of the sort of the, the variance in his performance over, over the last few months. Um, probably Marte is the smarter pick.
1: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, okay, so let's get back to those <laughs> those uh, players that we kind of teased uh, when we were talking about Robert Hassel, uh, Jason Dominguez, um I want to, I want to give a shout out to, to Michael Halpern, uh, who runs, uh, the, uh, imaginary brick wall. Does does really good dynasty stuff over there. Uh, someone brought it to my attention that he, uh, they were, someone was just like, did you know that he's got him, uh, Dominguez ranked like top 20, uh, as a prospect. And I, I was kind of like, oh, that's, that's interesting. Um, and then, you know, when I went to, and he was a huge riser, like a, Bumped him up a decent amount on the last update. But then kind of after looking again, I mean, he's uh, probably been more impressive than any prospect in the minors, basically, since my last update, when you just sort of factor in uh, performance relative to prior performance, where not, not only is the hit tool not a glaring weakness for Dominguez anymore, but now he's walking more than he's striking out uh, this month. I mean, that's, and, and I got to assume he's like the youngest player at high A if he's not, if not, he's, he's close to the youngest player at high A. So, I mean, Dominguez, what, what do you make of, uh, what he's done over the past, say like six, seven, eight weeks. And where is a, if if you wanted to buy high on Dominguez, like what, what does that, what does that look like? What, what range of a a top 400 should he be? Huh? Yeah, there's a lot there. Um, he was so bad,
2: I guess, in quotes, in the the beginning of the season and and you know the tail end of last season that I think it, it it was a shock. I think Eddie Almaguer, he he posted about like if if you knew that Jason Dominguez would have this slash line at high A, I think you'd be you'd be ecstatic, and especially when you saw what he was doing at like low A, you'd be even more ecstatic. So yeah, I think he's kind of turning it around. Uh, obviously, um, I tried to because of the the wide variance it's hard to 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 know what's like has he made a substantive change and this is actually who he is in the past was just sort of development or do you have to take the whole body of work as this is who he is to establish his his true talent um those are always the difficult ones so like at low a he was a 71 on RoboScout, but now at high a he's an 86 but i have to kind of give him credit for, you know, his poor performance in low A. And so he overall, he <laughs> ends up being like a 68 at high A. Um, so if you're, if you're taking the whole body of work, which I think most of the the mathematicians and regression people would say you have to, he's, you know, he's not doing that great, but he's on his way to building it. If, if you believe that there's been a, a change, something's clicked, he's more comfortable stateside now Then yeah, he's looking like, you know, 15 home runs, 25 stolen bases minimum. Um, maybe he could become Byron Buxton. Um, but if you take the whole body of work, he, maybe he's, you know, Delano to De shields or, or Trent Grisham. And, and I'm not picking these names just out of a hat. This is, this is me looking at, I did comps at like what he did at low a, I did comps at what he's done at high a. And then I did comps when you kind of like regresses high a with his low a and trying to see like similar performances by 19 or 20 year old at, at, at high a. So I mean, that's a wide range. to De Shields, Khalil Lee is another one that has very similar kind of numbers, though he's a year older than Dominguez is. Um, and then Byron Buxton at the high end. So when you have a, a, such a high range there, it's it's hard to obviously to pin down what you think he is, but it's like, it's the perfect guy to try to buy low on. It's the perfect guy maybe to sell high on or sell low on because <laughs> it's such a wide range. depends on your risk profile and what your roster construction is like, so it's yeah I mean it's not really an answer but uh definitely what he's done in the past month or so has been extremely optimistic and I'm happy for him to have done that um and I think it's good for the for the game and for the prospect industry as well as a whole um so yeah I don't know
1: yeah I I I know some people listen to this show for the uh like for card collecting and stuff and I'd be fascinated to know sort of what the sort of arc has been on that that sort of famous Bowman rookie card of his, because um, it was like the hottest card to have. I think you know sort of before he played in a game, and then there's probably an opportunity there where you where people were trying to unload him. And uh, I mean, I I got to imagine. I I feel like you know, when I, when I do like a prospect update, I'm not trying to, I think you can get in um, kind of a, you can kind of trap yourself if you focus too much on what the last update was. And, you know, I I think like as soon as I'm done with an update, I kind of just forget about that update. And then when I make the next update, I'm just trying to make the best update at that time. And I just think, looking at how old Dominguez is and this statistical profile he's showing. I mean, obviously the physical tools are, everyone knows about those. Um, The thing that is surprising me, I think the most is just how much he's run um, and, and how successful he's been running. Uh, Obviously it's the lower levels, but you look at him and he's just this, he's kind of boxy. Like he, he's not, um like he doesn't look like a guy that should be stealing 30 plus bases with ease. And if that's going to be, and I'm not saying he's going to be a 30 plus guy in the, in the majors, but just knowing that he could be a 20 steal guy in the majors still is, is very noteworthy for me because before the season I'd gotten to the point with him where I thought you are kind of basically hoping for, like you know 30 homers a 250 average and like 10 steals whereas now it seems like the 30 homer upside is still there but there might be more than a 250 batting average that that's kind of back on the table and there might be much more than 8 to 10 steals so uh i think you know it's been a it's been a wild ride with him and he's still just 19 years old it's kind of crazy how much his value has sort of shifted um but uh i think there's a decent case that he's a top 20 prospect especially if you're chasing upside and uh, especially chasing like five category upside um so uh i I think i'm kind of more on the sort of buying what he's been doing of late train i think um
2: yeah i mean speaking of the the uh, the stolen bases like his speed score which I don't know the exact machinations that go into it but it's like his stolen base percentage but also like infield hits and sort of like X babbitt compared to an average babbitt that type of thing it's a nine which is like it's not yeah. like he's just stealing any any opportunity and he just happens to be successful like he's she's showing like he's got the raw speed behind it for sure um, and then like comparing with Buxton at 19 in high A in 2013, his uh, Jason's uh, ISO is 194 compared to Buxton's 147. His swinging strike is 12% compared to Buxton's 22%. So it's like these guys have like the raw tools you dream on, but Jason is actually, I keep calling him Jason, uh, Dominguez is actually like sort of applying it in the way you want it to be applied um, before Buxton ever did. So like maybe saying Buxton ceiling, might even be low. So yeah, I, everything you're saying, comp- make there's definitely a case for what you're saying of him being a top 20, top 10 prospect.
1: And I think there's, uh, you know, he deserves a lot of credit because obviously we, we all know that baseball is a very uh, mental game and he's had just all eyes on him for the past three years, basically. And he's coming off a, you know, dis- I think disappointing is a fair way to, to categorize, his uh, debut season and then so for him to kind of come back you know a lot of times you'll see a teenage hitter has a really rough year at at single a and they just can never really quite get past it or get the train back on the tracks and for him to kind of come back and but be better at that level this year but then also force the the promotion to to high A and be even better there I just I think it's a good sign for when you know because he might struggle again like a double a or something I think it's just it's a good sign that he was able to kind of come back and and kind of keep focused and and make the the necessary uh, adjustments there.
2: Yeah, one hundred percent. It's like it's like the Billy Bean part in Moneyball. The Billy Bean part, the part about how he was a uh, like a a prospect that had never failed at any level his entire life. And I'm sure Jason Dominguez has never had a struggle uh, like on the baseball field for his entire life. And now for the first time after all the fanfare that you're talking about him struggling easily, he could just fall off a cliff and, and just, it doesn't happen. But exactly what you said, he's bounced back from that adversity and he showed the, to make the adjustments and all that. It's definitely positive.
1: So on my sort of tentative, you know, I'm working on my update um, tentatively. I have Dominguez and Couser, uh Colton Couser uh, backed back uh, borderline top 20 guys Um, before we kind of get into Kowser specifically, do you, do you think that's fair? Like having Dominguez and Kowser pretty close to each other? Uh, I, it makes a lot of sense. I can't,
2: I mean, this is the story of this podcast. I can't get a read on Kowser much either, but, uh, I think that makes a lot of sense having them close.
1: I mean, obviously very, you know, Kowser's three years older and, uh, college hitter and all that stuff. Um. Part of what I part of what's appealing to me about Kowser, uh, I mean it it's uh, stuff kind of beyond his control but uh, I'm kind of watching that that Orioles um, rebuild and sort of I think he fits and I mean you know when you take a guy fifth overall that that kind of goes without saying but I think he fits into that rebuild as a guy who's gonna hit in the top three of that lineup and I think, in a year or two, that's a lineup that could be, could bear a lot of fruit. Uh, I think like Adley Rutschman's already one of the best young players in the game and they've, they've got a lot of talent on the way. And uh, so just having a guy with, with his extreme patience, um, maybe, maybe he's leading off, maybe he's hitting second. Um, I just, I think the team context is right there for him. I mean, I would imagine he'd be, uh, treated like a, a true everyday player, uh, kind of given his pedigree, and then the the stolen bases. You know, he's another guy. Um, like speed score is not quite as good as as uh, what you referenced with Dominguez, but uh, eighteen for for twenty on on the bases. So um, you know, you like that. And then the the power that he started tapping into at Double A. Uh, Jeff Ponce was talking about that last time he was on here. Like he just completely flipped a switch uh, at double A. So, I mean, there's obviously there's some regression coming in what he's done so far at double A, but, you know, kind of getting sort of 2020 vibes of a guy that might hit first or second in a couple of years in a a pretty good lineup. Yeah, I mean, what what I'm saying, I can't get a read on him. It's
2: exactly that, what he's done this year compared to last year. So last year he had a a 15% strikeout rate and an 80% contact rate. So what you'd expect from a hit tool guy. And then this year at high A and double A, it's 25% strikeout rate or, and 28% strikeout rate. So like significantly quote unquote worse. Mm-hmm. And his contact rate is 66%, which is I think below average too. So it's like, he's sold out. He made a conscious decision. I, I have to imagine it's a conscious decision to sell out for power, quote unquote. So it's like, I can't, I, on one hand, it's good that someone with his skills and the hit tool to fall back on can choose to do that and, and sort of actualize that. Um, but then is there is there a middle ground between the two that he can find? And, and I guess probably if, if, if he's as talented with the bat as, as it seems he can be. Um, that's why I can't really get a read on him. I, I see like power, but maybe not power. And then like stolen bases. He didn't really steal bases in high A. He stole two out of, you know, three chances in 200 plate appearances. So like, he wasn't really running there. Um, but speaking to your, your, your comment about the Orioles, I mean, everyone now must be loving their, their rebuild there. They, they were targeting guys in the draft, like who have, like they don't, they don't chase like Kobe Mayo, Colton Cowser. Um, Gunnar Henderson has obviously been incredible. I think a number of outlets have them as the number one organization. So, like you can't uh, argue with their development and their and their prospect pipeline right now. So, I I think there is more sort of a deliberate. Um, choice that they're either they're telling him to do or he's choosing to do, and they're they're signing off on rather than like who knows what's happening and it's the wild west. So I think that's positive, a <laughs> kind of a long roundabout way of saying it's positive that he's kind of it looks like he's choosing to do something and then doing it. Um, and because uh, he has the the bat skills, it seems like he he would be able to do it. So I think he has a very high ceiling. I do think you're right. I think he would bat high in that lineup, like Hadley Rushman, Cedric Mullins, Gunnar Henderson, maybe Jordan Westberg too. Like, it's like, there's a lot of good, good uh, firepower there. And and very young, obviously too. So they're going to be an exciting team. You know, Grayson and and DL Hall, you know, throwing as well. So yeah, I think it makes sense in the team context and where they are in their competition window context that he's a great pick. Uh, for the next five to ten years, and so I think you're right. I think you've convinced me that he is, you know,
1: top twenty prospect for sure. So let's let's talk about every every nerd's favorite hitting prospect these days, uh, Kyle <laughs> Manzardo. Uh, you know, he's basically, yeah, we're not looking for speed here with with first baseman, uh, but beyond the speed aspect, he's doing everything you'd want a hitter to do. <laughs> um, I don't know what the flaw would be in Kyle Manzardo's, uh, profile. I was, I was relatively high on him for first year player drafts, but, um, not high enough. I don't, I don't think based on what he's done, uh, this year, what, what is your take on Kyle Manzardo? Uh,
2: well, I'll start with the bat. I think there are two things that, uh, that you could say are a knock. One is he's kind of first base only. So, that's a quote unquote a problem. And the second one is Tampa Bay, and who knows what sure how they handle their prospects. But I mean, you could do a lot worse. Um I he's a 100 on on RoboScout at high <laughs> A and a 95 <laughs> at Double A. He that's, that's I have, pretty uh, good. Yeah, that 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 plays. His I got some statast for him for this year. Um his ex woba is 399. So last year in 2021. Uh, the highest ex for a 21-year-old in high A was Dustin Harris, and that was 364. So he's significantly higher. He's 10% better. Um, the highest ex at high A last year of anybody was Anthony Volpe, who was 20, so one year younger. And he was, quote-unquote, only at 394. So Monsardo is dominating high A. His contact, his chase rate, his chase rate is the second lowest Uh, so if I I took the player pool of high A players, a 21 year old, um, and there were 64 of them last year and his chase rate this year, when you compare with the context of that player pool of last year, he'd be second. He chases the, the second least, like in a good way, he's second best at at not chasing. Um, you can estimate, I've done this in the past, you estimate barrel rate, um, kind of like a combination of like exit velocity and Xwoba woba and home runs for plate appearance. And you kind of blend them together. And if, if using that he has like the highest estimated barrel rate of anyone at, at high A as well. So like, he's making contact, he's making the right swing decisions. And then when he's making contact, the quality contact's ridiculous. So I thank you for, for having me dig into this uh, for this <laughs> podcast, because I'm seeing him, he's like top 10, uh, as a minimum probably top 5 like if you are if you're going to be 280 380 with 25 to 30 home runs like that's like paul goldschmidt so like he yeah i mean i don't really see any flaw in his profile right now i guess other than he's one first base only and that's like i'm nitpicking so i don't know what are your thoughts
1: <laughs> well yeah i mean i uh i agree with everything you said i would when I said like no flaws in the profile, I meant sort of just like looking at his offensive output in the minors. Um, I can't really see any flaws, but yeah, like the one, the rule for first base prospects is you just, you have to hit, you always have to hit. Um, there's no like leeway for having a a year at double at A where you're just like league average. If you're first base prospect, you have to be way better than league average. Um, so I'm not worried about the the position aspect I mean the Rays, gosh, uh they just they drive me crazy with uh the pro- the prospects they have because they just have so many good ones and you just never know when they're gonna give a-, a guy a shot. And uh this is a issue I've talked about with like Jonathan Aranda and like like I think Curtis Mead is like good enough where I don't worry about it that much. Um and I think Manzardo like for everything you kind of laid out we should be a little worried about the rays maybe maybe he doesn't make his big league debut as soon as he would in a in a different situation um but i, I mean they look they how many plate appearances have they given g man choi this year like um i mean i think i think they'll they'll eventually give give menzardo the keys and maybe he's not playing maybe it puts a cap on his uh regular season plate appearances year to year uh, because he's only playing like five days a week or something, but um, small concern there. What I wanted to, you kind of touched on a little bit, um, like how high could I rank Kyle Manzardo before you were just like, what are you doing, man? Um, (laughs) Like, like, like is like Kyle Manzardo, should we, should he be kind of in the Josh Young, like, neighborhood is that fair should he be above josh young like where, where are we like tristan <sighs> casas like what what do we think is like a, a good spot for commons i
2: i think those are like they're, that's the same neighborhood i think where, where, yeah. where do you have him now well, okay.
1: i mean i'm i'm like <laughs> so i I've, I've i've tentatively got him kind of in this sort of late teens area um but I, last night I was like kind of messing around and I like I had him at fourteen and then I was just like, eh, like, am I overreacting? Like, but at the same time, like if I saw if I saw someone else publish a list today and they were like Kyle Manzardo is the seventh best prospect in the minors for Dynasty, I'd be like, oh yeah, yeah I I get it. And would you kick yourself that he you only had him in, in the high teens? Because <laughs> I probably would. Because I'm like, ah, that's what I would have done
2: if I had the, the guts. Um, I think, I mean, it, it's a good question. Josh Young, Tristan Cassis, I mean, they're on the verge of major leagues. Um, I've already talked about Young's, mm-hmm. uh, what I think he's going to be. So it's hard to argue that uh, Monzardo should be higher than Young, I guess, logically but definitely in the same neighborhood, I think. And I mean, I think I'm kind of talking myself into raising young uh, even higher since I'm so all in on Monsardo. But uh, I was thinking as you're talking about Mead and Aranda, like I wonder what that does to their, their value because it seems like I- I'm guessing that menzardo's going to jump them in terms of like production and all that. Like even though maybe they're higher on the depth chart because they're like in the majors basically that he's going to pass them and then they're going to kind of be relegated to, you know, second, second string or whatever. So I wonder, I haven't really considered that, but I wonder, what do you, what do you think of like Mead's value or Aranda's value now that manzardo's kind of showing off here?
1: Well, you know, the, the good thing that they have going for them, uh, Meade, I think specifically, but you know, maybe Aranda is, um, there just isn't a ton standing in their way. Uh, You know, like is, is Isaac Paredes, is he going to be someone who's playing as much as he did this year? Is he going to get that many plate appearances next year? Like is G man Choi on the roster? Um, Like, I, I think there should be room for a guy like Curtis Mead to get a look and establish himself as, like, one of their – because it's not that hard to be one of the Rays, like, four or five best hitters, uh, at least this year. Like, I mean, there was a point this year where I think there was a strong case Manuel Margot was their second best hitter behind Juan Franco. So, um, like, I don't think it should be that hard for a hitter as talented as Curtis Mead to to establish himself before Manzardo debuts. Mm -hmm. Aranda, though, is is trickier for me just because – I don't think the bat is quite as, as sort of um, like, I'm very, very confident Curtis Mead is a big league hitter, uh, a guy that could hit, you know, top five in a lineup. Um, Aranda, I'm like 65, 70% confident he could be an everyday player in the majors, but with the Rays, maybe that's not high enough. And maybe he doesn't get the opportunity to really. Be set loose as an everyday guy before manzardo debut so i, I don't think it affects the way i think about mead uh, Aranda remains one of the toughest guys for me to rank just because I, I hate his situation but I, I like the player quite a bit
2: yeah i guess it's not it's not the best analogy but it's sort of like prado was ahead of pasquantino probably mm. and then but now pasquantino i think consensus is that he's past Prado. Um, so I'm wondering if that's kind of the same thing. Mead would be the likely person up first, obviously. manzardo starts double A, gets up to triple A, is dominating. Everyone's clamoring for him to be called up. He comes up and then does he split time with Mead? And then Mead, like whoever ends up producing better, gets more of the at-bats. So I guess that, that's kind of what I was thinking. I, I, I like everything you said though. I, I agree. Mead's a major league hitter for sure.
1: Well, I yeah, I mean, I, I liked uh, I like Curtis Mead a lot more um, right <laughs> now than I ever liked Prado. Prado. Um, yeah. But the Pasquantino, like I think Pasquantino is actually a great uh, kind of parallel for just just Manzardo and Pasquantino, and, because I think this off season we'll look at Manzardo's, you know, what he did this this season and. He's probably going to finish the year at Double A. He's only played 12 games there. I don't expect them to give him a, another bump. But you'll basically look at what Manzardo did this year, and they'll just be like, "Man, he absolutely destroyed High A, destroyed Double A. Uh, how close is he to the majors?" And it's kind of the same thing as like Pasquantino last year, um, where people are not quite sure, like, is this a guy that's going to be up this summer, or maybe do they do they wait a little bit and? I think Manzardo, kind of like Pascantino, is talented enough to um, force the issue for at least you know 29 out of 30 teams. We'll see if he can force <laughs> the issue for this team. But uh, I think he's he's good enough that he's sort of on that radar for 50-round draft and holds, I think, uh, for next
2: oh, year. Yeah, yeah, I think so.
1: Uh, how about uh, Brett Beatty? Um my analysis here is pretty simple. Like he always hit the ball really hard. He always hit the ball on the ground way too much. He stopped doing that at double a and the production was uh, outstanding. Um, But that's the only place where he's kind of gotten the ground ball rate into a reasonable range. So how do we feel about Brett Beatty? Yeah,
2: so RoboScout has him, had him at an 86 at AA, which was actually ahead of Curtis Mead by one. Um, so that's pretty high praise. Um, I, I can't get a read on him either, so I just I kind of relied on the projections. So I, I see Steamer has him at 250 batting average, 20 home runs, 114 WRC+. plus. Um, that might even be a bit optimistic. I know, I know Steamer this year, for some reason, they're AAA uh, Major League equivalencies, in my opinion, are are way more optimistic than they've ever been in the past. Um, so I I've kind of knocked down um those projections a bit, but that's that's JD Davis. I, I did a comp with other Steamer 600, uh uh projections. If you look at uh, Jordan Rosenblum's, he has like 260, 360 OBP, which is obviously good with a 123 WRC plus peak, which is uh and 20 home runs, uh, which is significantly better. Um that's kind of current Anthony Rendon. I know it's hard to like, what is current Anthony Rendon, but <laughs> <laughs> it's a guy who plays 30 games a year. Yeah, exactly. Um, So, I mean, it's a top 10 to 15 third baseman. Um Looks like the Mets are giving him some run here. I know when Eduardo Escobar comes back, I think Friday, they're going to have some decisions to make. I wouldn't be surprised if they send him down.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um But you know, it seems like, you know, he, uh, the fan base seems to like him from what I've seen. And uh, uh, the Mets seem to like him as well. So yeah, I, I'm I'm not, obviously I think Josh Young, I think is better than Brett Beatty. I think it's clear mm-hmm. from what I'm saying. Um, yeah. Even though Beatty's already in the majors um, and probably a better lineup moving forward. Uh, and maybe that's bad because he'll be lower in the hitting in uh, in the batting order, but I think he's he's fine player. I wouldn't I wouldn't trade because like he's young and he just came up, and so I'm gonna trade all these things for this this dynasty asset. I would I wouldn't go too far at all.
1: How do you? So I've got him right in the, in a range, uh, for now, um, with Ezekiel Tovar and Robert Hassel. Uh, how do you think he stacks up to those those two? Uh,
2: I like Tovar better, um, but yeah, with Hassel, I think it's. That's a good spot. It's like J.D. Davis or Stephen Kwan. Like, I'm just using comps as kind of a thing of like where my feel is for a, a redraft league. And then, you know, they're similar ages-ish. Um, so you can kind of extrapolate their curves. I think, you know, that's that's pretty good. I think it's a good spot. Like, is that, that's it like around 50? Is that what you're saying? Uh,
1: No, no. I like kind of late 20s, early oh, okay. 30s. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not quite in the. I I can't quite get there on like Robert Hassel not being a top 50 prospect, but um, maybe I'll be able to get there this offseason. We'll see. Um, no, I
2: mean there's a chance Hassel. I mean I I didn't I didn't say this within the Hassel section, but like he could be Whit Merrifield. It's possible. Whit Merrifield doesn't have great exit velocities either. He can play center, but isn't really center fielder. He hit 280, so 280 10 25 is like like that would be an X. Ex- extremely good outcome I think for Hassel, and that's extremely valuable so I I don't think he can write him off either
1: yeah he's just he's so tough to figure out <laughs> I don't, like I'm kind of almost getting into uh I'm, I'm I'm worried I'm going down a like Jordan Groshen's 2.0 hole with him where it's just like I keep like he looks like he should be able to hit for power I've seen him hit for power he just doesn't do it very often in in games when it counts and so like how much do you keep holding out hope that uh he's actually going to do it but um yeah we'll see uh okay let's we can kind of go rapid fire on on the rest of these here i've kept you uh plenty long but uh you mentioned i was like let's let's talk about some pitchers. uh you mentioned cody morris i been following very closely what Cody Morris has been doing and uh i mean it's just you you want to say like put this guy in the rotation uh, post haste but then i see these guardians like bloggers and reporters talking about how like they're they, they're going to put him in the bullpen and stuff and so um i mean to me it seems like Cody Morris could be an upgrade over at least a couple guys in that rotation um but like how good is is Cody Morris, do you think? Like I know it, it didn't quite work out for redraft this year, at least it hasn't yet, but are we gonna go back to this well for twenty twenty
2: three? Yeah, I think you gotta. Um he his stat cast last year was just excellent. He had plus fastball, ninety-six miles an hour, hits a hundred, his curves above average, just change up his Twelve miles of uh, miles per hour velocity separation. Um, I compared the his metrics with like major league pitchers, and like he looked like Chad Green, but with the addition of a plus changeup. So, <laughs> like minimally, he's Chad Green kind of thing, and then you know he can actualize into a, a dominant starting pitcher. Obviously, the injury is a concern. He kind of has had injury issues, obviously, his career, which is always scary. Um, but like Steamer 600 has him right now. He's a reliever. Um, in their in their uh, in their projections, so they have him at 1.18 WHIP, 3.4 ERA, and a 10.3 K/9. Um, there is a conversion you can do if he's a starter. Um, I thank Derek Cardy for this. It's like 17% uh, decrease in strikeout rate and BABIP, or increase in BABIP. Um, and so like if you convert him to using that. To a starter, it's a 1.3 whip, 4.0 ERA, and an 8.9 K/9, which basically is Sonny Gray. So that's right now. Cody Morris is Sonny Gray, and he's what is he? 22, 23?
1: He's like no. That's see, (laughs) that's the that's the knock on Cody Morris. He's like 25. Oh, is he? Actually, he's he's he turns 26 in November. So all right, um, that's that's the you know the. Fact that the durability issues remain to the degree they do at his age is is a concern. Like he's his season high for innings was forty nine yeah. or eighty nine in twenty nineteen, so he's kind of going the wrong direction in terms of building up innings. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean that's that's the knock, right? Like, I mean, if he were if he were twenty one and he was trending in the right direction from a durability standpoint, then might be the best pitching prospect in baseball. But uh, unfortunately he's not going to graduate this year. So I'm going to have to rank him again as a 26 year old. <laughs> uh, but with the the guardians, I mean, I think like Mike Clevenger broke in late. Um, so I, you know, it's with a pitcher. It doesn't always, it's not a death sentence. If you're like a, a late twenties guy or mid twenties guy, when you kind of, first break into the rotation but uh him having a healthy spring training i think is is going to be key so i hope that 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 draft and hold price doesn't get too out of hand um and then uh you i we we're going to briefly talk about cade cavalli news came out that he's going to make his big league debut on friday against uh what team was he going to start against um, uh cincy cincy and uh is that that's in Washington?
2: Uh, yes, I believe so. Yeah. Okay.
1: Um, so that could be all right. Um, what, do, what do you make of Cavalli? Because I know a lot of people kind of wrote him off after the, the slow start to the year, but he's been uh, absolutely lights out for a couple months now.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think first of all, Jake Fraley and Donovan Solano are going to take him deep multiple <laughs> times on Friday. <laughs> so
1: there's that. <laughs> he's going to have to. He's going to have to face Jake Fraley at least uh, at least two times, maybe three times. So that looks exactly. bad. Um,
2: yeah, I mean, Cavalli. It's tough too. He when when I look at Roboscout and his body of work, at AAA, he's a seventy, and the pitchers right beside him are Cole Sands. Zach Thompson, St. Louis. Zach Thompson, and then Spencer Howard. Like mm. just looking at the strikeout rate and walk rate and swinging strike and ground ball and all that. Like it's not, it's not the most compelling. Um, I liked Cavalli coming into into the year a lot. Um, again, the Statcast stuff I was doing. He is like four above average to plus pitches. He's got the nice build that they talk about. Right. Um just looks like a workhorse and could be, you know, you could see top of the rotation type thing. And I compared his pitch mix too. And, and it was like, basically like Dylan Cease and Freddie Peralta were like kind of the comps and like the mm. metrics. So like, that's obviously good. Um, So I've been disappointed in how he's done, obviously. So again, it's like, I can't get a read on it. Like, is he Spencer Howard? And is he going to be like, who was obviously highly touted in the past and throws a hundred and five pitches and etc. But then like the, Maybe it was a bit too, not flat enough. It doesn't have the right shape. And so they, they kind of tee off on it. I'm not sure. So I, I wish him the best. I have him in a couple (laughs) leagues. I want him to, to, to do very well. Not, not on Friday, but afterwards. And then, uh, but I'm not, I'm not sold that he's, you know, a sure thing. You know, first round draft pick that should always, you know, be at the top of a rotation or an SP three. I don't even know. So. What's, what's your read?
1: Uh, yeah, I, I think, um, I was, I was ve- I, very similar to you in terms of like the way my expectations sort of were, uh, preseason and sort of how they've evolved a little bit. Uh, I'm really excited to kind of get, uh, the, the data on his pitches and that from that start, um, and I, I hope that he just sticks in the big league rotation the rest of the season so we can get a nice sample here. Sure. Um but yeah, I, I think he's kind of like to me there's you know, there's like five or six like clear uh top pitching prospects. Like half of them are are hurt. Um, and he's not in that range for me. I think he's more like I think Kate Gavalli versus like Cody Morris versus like Gavin Stone is is kind of I think that's kind of the range I have him in. Um, still top 100. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. Like mid, middle of the top 100. Yeah. Okay. Like, um, and then, you know, proximity is great too for, for pitching prospects. Um, I, do you even want to talk about Nico Cavadas? I know I, I mentioned <laughs> it, mentioned him to you and you were like, Oh, I don't want to, I don't want to have to deal with this. Um, cause I know Cavadas is, you know, you and I, uh, care a lot about age to level. Yeah. Uh Nico Cavadas is like two years older than Luis Garcia of the Nationals. <laughs> and he and he like just got to double A. Um but if he were if he were younger, I feel like you'd like him.
2: Yeah, I would. I would. It it is it, exactly that. It's I don't have a good read. Uh say the same thing again and again. I, I don't have a good read on these guys who are older levels like Vaughn, Brown like drew baker mm-hmm. i think grant mcrae is older for the level two like it's like they're doing very well damon keith i think as well it's mm-hmm. like but it's like how much credit or how much dinging of that do you have to do because they're older i don't know there's not that much of a a body of work that i can easily draw from to look at it. like uh it, it, oftentimes if someone's old for the level, it's like they're doing a rehab stint or like they're just being sent down to get something straight or whatever. So it's like, it's not even a good player pool to kind of compare and do comps with. So I, I I always eschew having to do any analysis on these guys. But I mean, he's he looks like he's got 25 to 30 home run power. He's walking a lot, the hit tool's there. He's striking out quite a bit too, but like three true outcomes guy, first base only. So it's like, I can easily convince myself I don't need to worry too much about him. <laughs>
1: All right, all right. I feel like I feel like Eddie uh Eddie Almager would be uh in my in my corner with with Nico just given the um the power and the the OBP but um I'm pretty but, sure yeah. Matt
2: Thompson likes him a lot too. Like him AJ Vukovich those types of guys they they like See,
1: friends. like it's like every single guy you listed as like these ultra level guys. I'm like lower on all of them except for Kabadus. Uh I just I think there's just something special about the uh, power and the patience that he brings just kind of from from watching him. But um, I mean, well, I'm, I'm glad he's at double A uh, we can get, at least get a little bit of a sample on him at double A before the end of the season for for rankings purposes. But uh, I I'm buying uh, Kabatis, Um kind of relative to those other older guys. But. Uh, how about do uh, you got anything interesting on uh, Hunter Brown or Junior Camonero before we get to the the guys that you uh, suggested we talk about?
2: Uh, Hunter Brown, uh, eighty one at AAA, so higher than Kika Valley. Everything looks good. It's just like the the command I think mm-hmm. is the issue. Um, and then just a to, to steamer projection, just sort of <laughs> the the low hanging fruit. He he looks basically like Wasker and Noah uh, right now, so. But he's young so you know there's going to be a uh, development there and uh improvement in his in this thing. So, you know, I like him. Right now he's pitching I I, I checked so Cav- Kay Cavalli is at 100 pitches per outing right now. So he's he's built up. Hunter Brown has been in like 40 to 60 for like the entire mm-hmm. year. So he's not going to come up as a starter this year at least for sure mm-hmm. and um yeah, I don't I don't know what they're playing. I, I assume they want him to be a starter, but uh, they haven't really built him up this year to do that.
1: No. Um,
2: and then uh, anything on Camonero? Oh yeah, Caminero. Um, I love Camonero coming into the year. His contact was extremely high for his age and his contact quality was extremely high. And obviously that's the good combination you want. The problem was he was a free swinger and he was chasing a lot. And so I wasn't that surprised that A, the Guardians traded him because they, they like the hit tool guys with the, with the discipline. Um, and I also wasn't surprised that the rays, you know, asked for him or whatever. So, cause he has, you know, the raw clay that they can, they can mm-hmm. do their development on. So he, he's doing very well. I, I'm happy for what he's doing. Um, I think the fact that he's with the rays is good for him. Like, uh, Like Luis Matos is kind of a similar thing where it's like free swinging and everything, but and and can make contact, but he's got to like rein in that discipline because he's swinging at bad pitches. I think the Rays uh, are the right club for Caminero to help kind of harness that for him.
1: So in in three years, we can be hemming and hawing about whether or not they're going to jerk him around or not. Uh, (laughs) That'll be fun. Uh, Okay, so uh, I think you were of the guys you mentioned to me. I think you were most excited to talk about. Edgar uh, Caro of the uh, angels. And uh, before I get your take on him, I just want to like, like philosophically, if I just told you, um, I've got this amazing catching prospect. He's not, he's not quite as good as Adley Rutschman, but he's, he's maybe the next step down as a catching prospect. And he's three years away from the majors. Like how high could you rank that player, like, without even knowing anything more than that?
2: I I like catching prospects or, or uh, let me rephrase that. I don't ding catching prospects as much as other people do. Um, I I believe. Um like I have Francisco Alvarez quite high, uh Shaylan years. I had a top one hundred. Um the the, the the funny thing is that there have been so many good catching prospects recently that I have a lot of them on my teams. Already. <laughs> See, And so I don't need them. And so it's like the replacement level or whatever in my head of what a catching prospect is, is, is so much higher that you have to a higher bar to clear. And so um, that is kind of the, the narrative with Edgar Cuero. Like he has been at the top of RoboScope for a long time and I've just not pulled the trigger essentially the entire season because he's a catcher and I finally said I got I got to just take him it's like I think I mentioned before he's ahead of uh, Edwin Arroyo and and Jordan Lawler and and even Jackson Churio so it's like I gotta I gotta there's no excuse and like his defense is solid as well and so it's like there's no thing of like he's not going to make it a catcher or they're gonna have to give him more reps and there there isn't anything kind of against him other than quote-unquote he's a catcher so I do like Edgar Cuero. Do you have him in your top 200, 150?
1: He'll be in the top 200. Um, I don't know exact. I don't know if he'll, he'll probably be top 150. Um, my So what you said is like the way I've sort of started thinking about ranking. Uh, and I mean, I've always kind of been lower on catching prospects uh, like adley is just kind of the the one sort of big exception uh in terms of like a catching prospect getting top 10 but or even like top 25 but um like the way i sort of like have started thinking about it is any like whoever you want to say is the next great like catching prospect like um like i i think i could make a case that diego Cartaya is the best catching prospect for dynasty but if you want to say it's francisco alvarez uh whoever like like I think Kevin Pratt is great, I think Bo Naylor's great. Um but like whoever you want to say it is. Let's say you're in a 15 team dynasty league where everyone starts just one catcher. Like probably half the teams in that league have no interest in this awesome catching prospect, this hypothetical catching prospect because they already have a good catcher that they're starting they're not interested in starting a catcher in their util spot. So then like half the league is just not interested. And the other half of the league might have another catching prospect that's really good. And like why would they want a, a second one? Um and so you know, if you're in a if you're in a 20 team league where everyone has to start two catchers, this isn't a problem. If you're in a 15 team league where everyone has to start two catchers, this is kind of a problem but not that big of a problem, but like the fewer catchers are started in your league. You're just cutting a ton of managers off that are just not interested in that player at all. Really? 100% correct. I'm in, I'm in a 20 team OBP that has just one
2: catcher and that league. I, we have is money. Grandal and Dalton Varsha right now. We had Francisco Alvarez traded him, got Diego Cartaya in that trade, traded him. And did not pick up Edgar Cuero. There's other guys like Samuel Basalo I like. Moises Ballesteros I like. Right. Not not even looking at them. And then my 20 team with two catchers, so 40 catchers rostered, I I picked up Edgar Cuero. Like this is exactly what you're talking about, the league context. So if you're taking – if there are 40 catchers, it's obviously different than 20 catchers. Um and so I'm more willing to take a catcher and, and kind of stash them right now. So I have Alvarez, Francisco Alvarez on that team. I traded Shea Langoliers for Cal Raleigh, um, and now I have Edgar Cuero as kind of another backfill. So 100% correct. It's the it's the league context, like you're saying, and and of course you have to take into consideration that you know we're writing for player uh, teams and, and leagues that are you know 12 team, not that deep, etc. That you have to take all that in consideration, and like maybe some of these catchers will ever even be you know, in a, in a prospect list at all.
1: Yeah. I mean, like I, I like Moises Ballesteros. I like, uh, Yainer Fernandez with the Dodgers, mm-hmm. like guys like that. And Yainer Diaz on Houston. Yeah. I mean, there, there's more, there are more interesting catching prospects right now than there have ever been, I think. And it just, it, uh, I think you got to look at it from this sort of macro view of just, um, and like, that's, that's why i like i just don't think Francisco alvarez or Diego Cartaya are in that adley tier of just potential four category dominance like I think they're they're in the three category like they could be awesome they could be guys that hit like 250 240 with 25 homers like, that's awesome you know but is it something you're trading for? Is it something you're like clutching tight and, you know, refusing to, to part with? Like, I just don't, I don't think so. Um, to me. Um, whereas like everyone's starting five outfielders, everyone's starting at least three middle infielders, at least three corner infielders. Like there's just, there's more places to go, um, at those other positions. 100%. Um, Alex Ramirez of the Mets you mentioned, Angel Martinez of the Guardians. Uh you had an interesting kind of uh light comp on Alex Ramirez. Uh yeah, so I just one one last thing one last
2: thing about Edgar, Edgar Cuero is um before the offseason, looking at the twenty twenty one StatCast, I I did this thing about pitch decisions. Um And so I took, like, their swinging percentage and then number of times they swung and chased and did, like, sort of, like, the Z minus O. And then how many times they swung at pitches in the heart of the zone to see, like, they're, you know, they're making the right decisions. They're not chasing and they're swinging at the ones that they can, you know, crush. And Edgar Cuero had, he did not swing that much, but he and he did not chase at a, sort of the same level you'd expect, but he hunted those pitches in the heart of the zone. So he was picking the the, the ones to to smash at like two standard deviations above the rest of the league. So wow. that already had him on my radar to begin with. And it was only until, you know, he sustained it for one whole season as a catcher doing well that I, that I finally pulled the trigger. So I think that's interesting information. Um, Alex Ramirez. So yeah, this is going to be a teaser for what I'm going to write about on, uh, Prospects Live, my weekly sort of RoboScope article, but um, we got a hold of some Jackson stat cast for this year. Um, and as you can imagine, it's very good. Um, and so I looked at him as a uh, 18-year-old at low A and, and compared to see last year low A 18-year-olds because I have the StatCast for that. And Alex Ramirez... Is very very similar in a lot of ways to Jackson Churio underlying stats so the ground ball rate is much worse Alex Ramirez's ground ball rate last year is much worse than Jackson Churio's this year Um, the like OPS production etc is not not as good as well 929 Churio was compared to Ramirez 710 but underneath the hood uh, the launch angle and the percentage at Above 95, at the the, the right launch angle, the exit velocity, the 90th percentile exit velocity, the maximum exit velocity, all that stuff, the chase rates, the the contact, all that stuff was very, very, very similar between the two. So, my premise is Alex Ramirez has another gear that he could unlock. If if there's someone who could be quote unquote the next Jackson Churio. Um, who's already on the radar, but maybe is a buy low right now? Would be Alex Ramirez. Can you That's...
1: be? Can you be the next Jackson Churio <laughs> if you're 16 months older than Jackson Churio? <laughs> yeah, very good point.
2: Uh, well, is there someone who could come out of nowhere and be come from low end of the top 100 to top 10 by the end of the year? Um, I think you could do worse than than betting on Alex Ramirez.
1: So is he to you like? Because I've kind of got him in the eh, like roughly around like 60th best prospect. Uh, are you a little bit higher than than that on him?
2: Uh, I was lower. I, I had him at like 80 because he hasn't been that great this year. Um, Robosco hasn't been a big fan either. Um, and I was I was relying. So when we did our update with the FYPD, I was. I made a conscious decision to be heavily reliant on Robo Scout. And so he was outside the top 100. I'm like, well, I guess I got to move him up because like that is kind of a bit ridiculous. Um but I think I got to have him I think I will have him in the 50 to 60 range when we next update.
1: Okay. So yeah, we're we're basically in the ballpark. Yeah. Um and then Angel martinez uh switch hitter for the guardians just got promoted to uh, double a uh you had an interesting cop to me um, of him versus uh brian rocchio and uh yeah i don't really think there's any any debating that uh martinez was better at high a than rocchio was and it's it's easy to compare these guys because they're both switch hitters They both basically have the exact same um, physical and defensive profiles. And Martinez is basically just like a year behind uh, developmentally of Rokio. The big thing, like Rokio's big breakout, at least for me, uh, really kind of giving him a push is what he did at double A as a Twenty-year-old last year, uh, I thought that was very impressive. Uh, he started off very, very cold this year, but was basically the same guy over the last uh, I don't know ten weeks or so. Um, Do you think Ramirez or do you think Martinez could be on the same type of um, path as Rokio? Like, because I think that what he does at Double A, because he's twenty now, you know what? He maybe gets a you know handful handful more games in at double a but um like he'll he'll probably head back to double a next year like this is kind of a level where we kind of see whether what he did at at high a was was legitimate yeah i mean i think
2: and also like they both play for the guardians obviously and so they have the same park factors um so like you can look at their you can compare their results like at face value one-to-one without having to do any math in your head um So they had similar plate appearances too. So it's an easy comparison. It's just like Angel Martinez just kind of blows Brian Rocchio out of the water on, on almost everything. So to me, that leaves me very optimistic um, that Angel Martinez is going to quote unquote be the next Brian Rocchio. Um, I, I looked at him because he was always kind of scoring well in Robo scout, but just like with Von Grissom, I was always like, ah, he's like a 10 to 12 home runs, 10 to 12 stolen bases, you know, good batting average, but that's kind of empty, blah, blah, blah. So I'd always kind of like poo-poo it and not really dig in deep because I want like elite power or, you know, elite hit tool. And he was always sort of like average to above average across the board. Um, So I decided to dig in and that's where I found this thing. So yeah, I think, I think in the way that you were talking about Robert Hassel and Evan Carter, to be kind of Converging, I think I need to have Angel Martinez and Brian Rocchio kind of converging a bit more than they are now. I'm not. I'm not sure exactly where they are, uh, but I think they got to be within 20 spots. I think now, of each other, in my opinion.
1: So it's it's another. Yeah, I mean that that uh, the Guardians just their their plethora of middle infielders. I could see it becoming a bit of a headache for us. Uh, yep, because. I sort of assumed that one of Ahmed Rosario or Andres Jimenez would fall short this year, and then like it'd be kind of clear like that that guy's not really in the plans. Um, you know, Jimenez has been way better than I thought. Rosario's been about as good as I thought, and so they they both at least look like guys that should be playing uh, almost every day. And you know, Rokio's knocking on the door. Tyler Freeman is like just kind of an afterthought at this point uh, you know it, it's it'll be interesting to see like if, if there's room for for all these guys and, and what they end up doing there
2: for sure I, I felt the same way I thought it would be like one of Rosario or Imanes like you said would go the way of Oscar Mercado and right. it right all sort itself out but no it, it hasn't
1: and and the Guardians like their outfield is going to be uh, I was thinking about this the other day They're that's a pain for redraft for 2023 Assuming they don't move anyone, I mean, I, I don't think they're going to give Straw everyday playing time again. But like, they have just all these interesting young outfielders. I think Oscar Gonzalez and Quan probably play uh, as much as they have been of late, and then there might just not be a ton of playing time left for for the rest of them. But um, if that's... you
2: take if you take Steamer six hundred um, and pretend that that's what the play-to-princes are going to be next season, Oscar Gonzalez is like the 25th outfielder it, it's actually pretty ridiculous Going to steamer so i think he's going to be a popular target next year for sure
1: yeah that'll, that'll be uh that'll be fun uh i could see him being kind of divisive for for redraft chatter but uh i think that'll, that'll probably do it for us so uh, why don't you why don't you tell people uh where they can uh find your work and uh, how they can get to uh, all that great roto scout uh, data
2: yeah so prospectslive.com. um i'm on the dynasty team uh, behind the Patreon wall, basically, that's where the RoboScout stuff is. We have expanded recently. Uh, Drew Wheeler has come over from SB Streamer. He's uh, locking down some of the the podcast hosting and and all the Dynasty stuff. Um, we just also got Tiran. Um, I'm not sure his last name. I think it's Alexander. I'm sorry, Tiran. Um who you've probably come across on Twitter because he's uh, very prodigious and prolific on there. Um, he's, he's joined the team. There's also going to be another high profile uh, announcement, but that uh, is under wraps right now, but maybe you know about it. I'll give you a hint. It's another Highlander guy. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of exciting stuff happening at prospects live um, on Twitter, I'm at the underscore underscore arrival, and you can find me on the TGFBI uh, leaderboard. <laughs> hopefully, in the top 25 yes.
1: by the end of the year. <laughs> well, yeah, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta at least finish uh, top 15, so you could say you were the only person in history to finish top 15 three straight years. I think I, had, I have three top 20 finishes, but not consecutively. Um, so. Uh, But obviously I think you have bigger, bigger goals in mind than just finishing top 15. So Uh, best of luck with that, Dylan. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Really appreciate you joining me and uh, I'll be back next week with a mailbag episode. Always a pleasure, James. Thanks.